The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. It's Wednesday, May the 15th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. With just over a week to go until polling day, we wanted to have a look at what's at stake in the local elections. In theory, these should be a great exercise in grassroots democracy with thousands of candidates almost, vying certainly for hundreds of seats on local authorities across the country. But in practice, the reality may be rather different. To discuss those realities, I'm joined by two sitting councillors who have decided not to stand again in these elections. Grace Tallon has been a Labour councillor representing the Dundrum Ward on Dundreary Rathdown Council for the last eight years. Grace, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And Frank Kennedy has represented the Pembroke South Dock Ward on Dublin City Council for Fianna Fáil since the last elections in May 2014. Frank, you're welcome. Thank you very much, Hugh. Pat Leahy is here, as always. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, Hugh. And we're also, I'm delighted to say, we're joined by our Dublin correspondent, Olivia Kelly, who spends more time than most of us do observing councillors in their natural habitat. Morning, Hugh. Um, well, start with you, Grace, if I may. Uh, you, How did you become a councillor, first of all? I was co-opted in 2011 and before that I'd been involved in general elections, campaigning and managing election campaigns and I suppose I put my name in the hat really not thinking that I would be selected. There was five people going forward for the co-option but people wanted a change and they wanted more women and I was lucky enough to be selected. So I ran then in 2014 in a very, very difficult election for the party and I was again, I was, I was elected then. Labour got slaughtered in that election. Absolutely. So I was, I was lucky, but I'd done two years of hard work and, um, and I was, I, I, I got over the line in 2014. So that's seven years um, on the council, which I was very, very proud to represent the party and my area. I'm proud of my record. I stood up for what I said I was going to do when I was there. At this point in my career, it's just become too difficult for me to balance the workload of being a councillor. Um, the, you know, it's the opportunity loss, really, because you can't progress the other side of your career. So at this point, I'm taking a step away. I'm not saying that I'll never put my name forward to my constituents or party members again. But at this point, I need to just step away and, and, and get involved. And in it's supposed areas. to be a part time job. How, how many hours a week were you spending on? It's a part-time job, but, you know, there's many full-time councillors. And so you're almost doing it full-time as well as trying to balance other, other work. And the issue around part-time is that the hours change. So you could have meetings at 10 o'clock in the morning, another meeting at 3 and something at 5. So your whole day is gone, you know. So it is part-time, but it, it, the flexibility isn't there. You need a very, very, very understanding employer or you need to be self-employed or retired really to to be able to do the job of, of a councillor. And the pay is based upon it being a, a part-time position. Yes, and another thing to note as well is that the pay, I bought a house recently, we were lucky to get a house, but you're, that money isn't taken into account, so that salary mm. isn't taken into account for a mortgage. So it's just a piece around, we're talking a lot about why younger people aren't getting involved, and it's just something to note that, you know, that that, that, that does happen, and that's prohibitive. Obviously, it's very hard to get a mortgage, so to have this piece around that as well is is, is very difficult to encourage you know, younger people to, to put themselves forward. So, Frank, you were elected um, to Dublin City Council in 2014. Yeah. Uh, so you've been there now for, for five years. How does your experience compare with Grace's? Well, I can relate to an awful lot of what Grace has said. 
And uh, in my own case, I think the reason why I'm taking a step back, certainly more than anything else, is just the volume of time that's required to discharge the function properly. And Grace and I are just two examples of many councillors, most of them at the younger end of the spectrum and most of them who would work outside politics as well, who are taking a step back. I can think of many examples. Olivia will know them on Dublin City Council as well. David Costello, Norma Salmon, Kieran Binchy, Paddy Smith, people who have other experience outside politics in medicine or science or law or who bring different perspectives. And all of us just find that the time that it takes uh, is too much to juggle with trying to do, do our, our day jobs. And you, you ask Grace an interesting question about how many hours a week does it take? And it's a bit of a how long is a piece of string because it's hard to put a fixed number on it. It varies from week to week. It also varies based on the extent to which you are prepared to engage yourself, how many meetings in your community you choose to go to, how proactive you are at getting back to your constituents. But I thought that Grace made a really interesting point about how variable it is as well, how you might have a meeting at 10 o'clock one day, 3 o'clock the next. And you can condense that down to a fixed number of hours, but actually the compound effect is much greater when you think of the disruption that that might have, say, in um, a more normal working environment that uh, you'd be trying to... And can create. I just just ask you as well, Frank, I mean, why did you decide to stand for the council in the first place? Because obviously people do it for certain reasons. Uh, did you have notions uh, of going further <laughs> in the on the political ladder? Well, um, that's, you know, definitely I, was, I had a lifelong interest in politics and um, it was something that... I had thought about for many years getting involved in and I had been a little bit tentative about getting involved. And I remember a friend of mine said to me, you know, Frank, um, you do have this interest and you really should pursue it because if you don't, it's something, there's a very good chance you regret. And it was a fantastic piece of advice and I'm so glad, really, really glad that I ran, that I had the opportunity to spend a term on it. It was a genuine privilege. I'm going to stay involved with the party and supporting good candidates. But, I mean, this sounds, and I can say it hopefully without being um, sort of taken with a grain of salt because I'm not seeking re-election. Genuinely, you know, the, the reason that I got involved is because I thought, even though it sounds, you know, <laughs> you can draw your own conclusions, but I thought I might have a contribution to make, you know. I thought I could um, discharge the function well and um, hopefully be a good public representative. And then, yeah, I was certainly interested in maybe a, a longer career in politics, which uh, clearly now I've, I've, I've taken a major step away from. And Grace, do you feel like, Frank, do you feel that, that you've made a contribution? Because I'm going to be asking Olivia now in a second about the reality of, you know, the powers of councils and how they how they do their business. What was your experience of that? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's very frustrating. And I know that Frank will agree. Um, I was talking earlier about it could take two years to get double yellow lines in an area. I mean, that is just insane. And it's so frustrating um, and very frustrating for your constituents. So you're trying to balance all of that, those relationships as well, you know. Um, the one thing I'll say is I, 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 I too thought I would make a contribution and I feel I did. Um, I wanted to support social housing. I did support social housing when it was incredibly difficult. I had to go back into an area where I had a very large vote with people saying they'd never vote for me again. And I think that... Because of planning, because, because social housing was Because of social housing. So unfortunately, we're still in a situation where everybody's banging the table about we need social housing. But equally, not in my turf and not down the road from me. So we are still in that place where, you know, local councillors are not voting for, for, for social housing. The rest of their party will, 
but the, the particular local area. Because rep- both you point. and Frank represent, you know, not to put too fine a point, but prosperous South Dublin constituencies, albeit to if Frank's making a face on that. Uh, I know that there's there's some vari- variety in the you know the it's South inner city. It's much more diverse than you would think, board. Hugh. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because they've split the ward now. Um, and actually, I, I might just segue into a point here because um, it's now been split into the Pembroke Ward and the South Inner City Ward, but really they are economically uh, chalk and cheese. And there's a major feeling, one that I can really understand and, and, and endorse, that in part of that constituency they're caught with this perception of being you know, in a privileged and well-heeled area and there is real economic disadvantage. But just to make one separate point... Um, which is that I do think a change for the better is that the local electoral wards now are are smaller than they were five years ago. And I do think that that's one way that hopefully for the next term of councillors there'll be fewer councillors in each ward, but they'll cover smaller geographic areas. Because that's one of the things, the demands of serving these larger ward areas were one of the things that was putting putting, putting the pressure on time. Olivia, first question. I look at the number of, uh, let's take Frank's crowd first of all. I look at the Dublin City Council. There's, there's an awful lot of councillors. There are far too many of them. Yeah, I think it was an awful mistake uh, last time out to uh, to increase the number from 52 to, 50, to 63. That happened at the last local elections. Yeah, there's too many of them. And it plays to what both Frank and, and Grace have been saying. And I'm, I'm just going to preface everything I'm going to say now by saying I really admire councillors um, you may you, the next thing I say may not sound like it Fire but I do however. because well <laughs> yes no and I, I just think it's a, it's a thankless task and, and it's, in a way it's quite heartbreaking to hear some of the things that, that, that both Frank and, and Grace have said and I will miss Frank on the council I thought he was a very good councillor and um, he, he, he referenced some of his colleagues and I think all of them, they were also very good, the younger councillors who were going. And I think it's an awful pity that some of those younger councillors are going. Is that what you're seeing, as Frank says? Is that what you're seeing, the younger councillors who perhaps are kind of in the, you know, they're raising families, they're trying to kind of pay yeah. a mortgage. Are they the ones who are maybe being forced I, out by the I system? Think, I think there's, there's a dual thing with them. It's the, it's the as I said, like you wouldn't be doing this for the money. There's no money in it. It's. It can be a thankless task. I'm sure there are rewarding aspects to it when you feel you have achieved something. But those moments, I'd say, are really few and far between. And I think the, the, the two problems are, yes, the trying to develop for young people, particularly trying to develop a career or trying to, to raise a family at the same time as doing something that is billed as a part-time job, but really is a full-time job. But as well, I think the other frustrating thing for them, for new councillors of, of all ages, um, but maybe young people feel this a bit more, is that you get almost nothing done. It's incredibly hard to get anything done. And one of the reasons is the number of councillors on the city council, but as well on Grace's local authority, all the local authorities got a bump up in numbers in Dublin. Say so the, the three county local authorities, Fingal, South Dublin and Dunleary, they were in the mid-20s in, num- in councillor numbers and now they're all at 40 before the... the at, you know, before the last local election, um, and and the council, as I said, has gone from fifty two to sixty three. And what happens is, if if anyone had attended the very last council meeting, a Dublin City Council, that's they could have attended that, and they would have learned everything they need to know about the council, because these are a couple of things that happened. There was a a a, a vote on an issue, and pretty much all of the sixty three councillors 
wanted to speak on it. It was in relation to affordable housing. And and understandably, they all they all it's a hot topic, so everyone has an issue on it. But if you think about everyone's meant to get two minutes, everyone runs over their two minutes. So if you think about the multiplier of that, that's a huge chunk of your council meeting. And a council meeting has to end by a certain time. And so everyone speaks on that. So they were all outraged about this particular issue with with affordable housing, which is very complicated, so I'm slightly reluctant to go into it. But it was basically the el- eligibility criteria. Um for for social housing and everyone said how terrible the legislation was that they'd been presented with by the department how this was an awful scheme and everyone everyone said it I can't think of a, of a party who didn't say how terrible it was so they went through all of this and ranted and raved about it and in the end they passed it by agreement they didn't even vote on it they passed it by agreement and so why, they did, all they, hated why it. did they do that because they all oh they god all as I say we're looking to go into it well no I, I, I could tell you why why they did it and, and Frank or Grace can disagree with me because it was a similar situation in, in Grace's local authority out in Dunleary they had you're Dunleary aren't you yeah. Grace yeah so in Dunleary they had actually last month they had voted against it and then they, they reversed their decision they were they, the fear was put into them they were essentially told by the, the local authority management if you don't vote against these these poor eligibility criteria, which essentially what they do is they exclude people who've had to move outside Dublin to rent. They'll never be able to buy affordable housing now. Once you once you leave Dublin, you never get back in. As, essentially, it'll be like London now. The, the, the way people, that happened in London. So, um, so they're terrible. I've ne- I've rarely seen worse written regulations coming out of the department. But um, they the reason I'd say and. The, the lads can disagree with me, but the reason I'd say they voted against it was first the fear was put into them very directly by the by their the county managers saying that uh, you might find that your funding for social housing programs in the future uh, will be cut uh, if if you or, or just withheld if you don't put in this eligibility criteria. But I'd say another factor is you're knocking on doors and people say to you, oh, did you vote against affordable housing? And then you're trying to explain that in a, in a very finite time at someone's hall door. And as I say, they're complicated regulations. So it's hard to explain to someone, well, the reason I didn't pass the... It didn't because, like paragraph yeah, three yeah, or whatever yeah. thing was phrased it's very, or whatever it might very, be. very, very tricky. Does, doesn't that illustrate one of the central problems with the structure of local government and one of the reasons, I suspect, for frustration on on the part of many councillors, and they can speak for themselves, of course, but it's the fact that their powers are so hugely circumscribed by either national government or by the officials in the local authority. Now, there are reasons for that, and you think of waste disposal, how powers were taken away from uh, from elected councillors because they were basically incapable of making decisions that were unpopular uh, for, um, amongst their voters. But that it seems to me, and housing, Olivia is the authority on this, but uh, housing would be, it seems to me, a very good example of the extent to which local councils and local councillors have very minimal powers. Yeah, I'd agree. And I'm sure the the, 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 the lads here would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let me bring Grace in, because so hemmed in on one side by your county manager and the other side by the Department of the Environment, and you're not actually left with very much power between the two of those. Absolutely, and I think that piece that Pat made around and, and Olivia around getting that over to the electorate, that's where you fall into a, a really difficult space is that you're trying to explain, no, but we didn't vote against social housing. It was that it wasn't, or, or, or a housing plan is that it wasn't 
fit for purpose. Um, and, and that that particular um, scheme was almost put to us like perfect is the enemy of the good, you know, so how long are we going to wait now? We're just going to accept this because we're not going to. And, and there is an element of compromise as well that you have to make in order to to bring to bring in schemes, you know, so so you're hamstrung all the time. But also you, you really have so little powers, you know, the reserved functions are so few that there's very little that you can do, you know, um, and, and, and yes, you can put the, the, the um, you can represent your constituents and put put forward small, small, um, as I said, uh, parking schemes and all of those things. But I mean, as in a broader sense, you have such few powers. It's it's incredibly difficult to make real change. Can I ask a question? I mean, this is obviously all these all these problems, all these issues apply to councils right across the country. But you're both for the greater Dublin area. I don't understand myself why there's a number of different councils for what is essentially a single city. I don't understand if you totted up all the councillors from Fingal, South Dublin, Dunleary, Rathdown, Dublin City Council, where would you be at? Olivia, somewhere north of 200 or something? Uh, Around that. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, How many are in the London Assembly? I'd say it's a, I'd say it's a fraction of that. Plus they have a directly elected mayor. Um, yeah, a little under 200, yeah. Ha, this looks a bit to me like a system that was designed to fail by central government because they don't want to give any power to local government. Well, that, that I mean, I'm not sure that there is and that there is a master designer behind it. I think like an awful lot of how we organise our our political system, it's an accretion of compromises and half-baked ideas and good ideas that all lay upon the top of one another and give yeah, us a system that we have. But I think, well, central government in Ireland is very strong, much stronger than comparable European countries, and that is, uh, uh, and that remains the case. The power of the officials in the councils, which in a way is an extension of uh, of central government, is is very strong. It always struck me as, by way of illustration, and maybe Frank could talk about this. But this is uh, the, the outgoing council is the most left wing council that has ever been elected by the people of uh, of of Dublin. There's, there's a big left-wing majority, including lots of councillors from the far left or, or the revolutionary left, I, I suppose they might d- describe themselves. I'm not sure that has made <laughs> any just, difference. i just jump in there. At all. To Zero. Zero difference. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would. The only difference I know I there's been some it, flying of the Palestinian flag all, over City all Hall. The only difference, but and I, 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 in terms of the yeah. what the council yeah. does <laughs> and yeah. the difference it makes to the lives, you would think it would make a big a big difference. But and and I'm not saying a difference for for good or ill. But no, um, the only difference I could see it made, and and this could be a factor in there being more councillors there. But it really slowed down the work of the council, I thought. More windbagging, um, is that what you're, you're implying here? More talking about things that councillors, now I am just talking about the city mm. council in, 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 in this instance, but just talking about, yeah, I suppose windbagging in that they were talking about things that they could do nothing about. There was that, about the, the no power in it, no, and they'd go through a whole meeting. And just to refer to the last meeting again as being a thing that you could, it just typifies the way the whole thing works. You could go to that meeting, just learn everything you need to know about, about, uh, about local governance. Uh, at the end of the meeting, which again, you know, most of the meeting was, was, was taken up with the affordable housing issue that was then agreed anyway. Uh, there were a couple of other issues in it. But at the end of the meeting and everyone was saying, oh, well, th- you know, thank you all for your, your five years of service. And a little voice came up and I, I couldn't see who it was. Somebody said, what, 
what happens to all our emotions on the agenda? Well, I've had emotion on since I think somebody might have said 2017. What happens to them? And managers just looked at them and went, they all fall. You know, and the thing is, motions at every council meeting, you they go through the, you know, the, uh, the, the, there's always motions at the end of the uh, of the agenda. agenda yeah. Sure, they never get to them, and they go on to the next agenda, and then they go on to the next agenda, and it could be a thing a councillor feels really passionately about could really have an, a, a decent effect for their community. I'm sure they, they never get to them. But it was just the innocence of that councillor. I can't remember who it was, but I know it was a, a, a newish councillor. And they just and my, my emotion, well, that's the end of that then, you know? Frank, there's supposed to be, well, there are plebiscites taking place in Waterford, Cork and Limerick mm. next week as part of a proposed further reform of local government. Obviously, that didn't happen when it was proposed first to the four councils in Dublin um, a few years ago. Could you see any merit in a, a much smaller council Covering the whole city of Dublin, say, yeah. full-time councillors. Absolutely. Uh, the, the Absolutely. In my opinion, I think there's a choice to be made in local government um, as to the role of councillors and local authorities. Do we want to continue with the same system but try and improve it and tweak it? And one of the ways you do that is have more resources and councils work better and have you know a way that you can facilitate councillors under the current system, maybe balancing their other commitments outside it. Or do you take a more revolutionary approach where you you have four consolidated local authorities into one and delegate real power to it and then hope that uh, an electorate will elect people who carry out their functions responsibly? Um, and I think that is the way forward, but it's a very, very dramatic I mean, I'd have to say change. that you are a member of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Fáil has had a major input into the construction of the current system. Um, there is, you will find uh, every councillor from every political hue who has ever had a member of their political party in government bemoaning almost on a monthly basis at council meetings the state of local government in Ireland. Um, and I think that I can only speak from my experience and what I believe needs to happen. And certainly that is my assessment of the kind of radical change that's required. But could I make two points just in the context of what has been said? First of all, when Olivia spoke about the, the, the current mix or path, the political mix on the council and what changes that had, I don't know. I certainly wouldn't make any ideological criticism um, sincerely. But I do believe that there's been greater paralysis in decision-making, I understand, from speaking to councillors who've been there for longer periods of time, that it's been harder for braver decisions to be made because they're coming under these visceral attacks from within the chamber. And as Grace was talking about earlier, you know, the, the best being the enemy of the good. There might be a good but imperfect solution, say, which might have a, a social mix in terms of housing. And, you know, people who might be necessary to get that majority over the line are coming under serious pressure to go for some all or nothing proposal that just isn't going to be converted into a political reality, as desirable as it might be. The second point is that we're focused a lot on the actual powers of local government, but in terms of day-to-day -day functioning and engagement with officials, one of the things that I've heard from very experienced councillors, and Olivia will know who I'm speaking about, people who've been around a long time, 
is that there isn't the same level of cooperation uh, as there used to be in terms of the stuff at grassroots level, like getting the yellow lines done or the footpaths fixed. It used to be much, much easier and there used to be more collaboration. That's not at all a criticism of the officials. I found them excellent. I so think it's what, has happened, what has happened there? I think there's a serious um, starvation of resources, but I also think that there is, and this is such a simplistic answer, so I, I'm sorry not to flesh it out more, but I do feel that the level of bureaucracy that's involved, the level of assessments that have to take place before a footpath can be dished, you know, where yellow lines can go down, even in instances that are so blindingly obvious, there are certain procedures and mechanisms that have to be followed. And we all believe checks and balances are appropriate and necessary where you need them but you become paralysed if you can't identify a dangerous stretch that might need a yellow box mm. or double yellow lines, but you can't proceed on that basis because of a massive backlog and because you need to go through five preliminary steps, including consultation with the Gardaí, etc. That's certainly one of my perceptions as somebody who lives in Dublin, Grace, is that it's a city paralysed many times. It seems to take an incredibly long time to bring in relatively small changes, you know, cycle. We're looking at the massive Bus Connects project is in train at the moment, and I'm sure that's kind of causing issues, you know, in, in, in your award. But these things do seem to take an incredibly long time. It's the same. I'd reflect everything that, that Frank has said in terms of how long it takes to get things over the line. There's just one, one piece I'd like to just pick up on from what Olivia said about left-leaning candidates and it being a, a left-leaning council. And in five years, nothing has changed. So pff, out again. You know, I think we have to just look at how long does it take to make change? So the same goes for national government as well. And I think, you know, as a society, we need to look how long does it take to make change? How long are we looking for people to be in term, you know, to be in office? Because you've a left-leaning council for five years. Oh, they did nothing. But if you look, at, there's motions on, 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 on the agenda for two years. So it takes a really, really long time to make change. But it is different, isn't it? Because it's not like a, uh, a general election where following the election, some form of coalition with an agreed programme for government of some sort uh, then embarks upon that and succeeds or fails in those in those objectives it lays out. Well, the, the the coalitions that take place at local level seem to be purely for the for the purpose of divvying out lord mayorships and ceremonial roles of that sort, rather than actually implementing any kind of local policy. Yeah, that's that's true to a certain extent. But if you have if you have a majority of of right leaning candidates, they're they're going to be pushing their own agendas, obviously. So the same does apply to a certain extent at local government level. You know, if you want a social, if you want to, to if social justice is what you're you're interested in, and those are the policies that you want to see pushed, then you need to vote for left candidates. Um, and it, it it does take time. It does take it, you know it takes five years. It takes ten years. You know you need but to those see candidates then give back property tax to wealthy property owners and don't have money that they could be putting into social or affordable housing. Well, they're, they're, fair, they're fair points. They are fair points. But if you're looking at people voting against, voting against different schemes, you know, and they're con continuously doing that. So, um, you know, I, I would say you absolutely need to, to have, have right, left-leaning councils if you, if you want to, to get those, those things. a question, I suppose, about taking the, the example of Dublin City Council with the big left-wing majority on for the last five years. Has that made is is the fact that that has made little difference to citizens lives because the councillors on who made up that majority weren't were more interested to take one example of flying the Palestinian flag from city hall than making changes in the everyday lives of people or realizing no. changes or is it because mm. they've no power anyway i i i 
I wouldn't say it's fair to, to say now, the Palestinian flag. No, I, I mean, I take that as, yes, as a kind know, of an example of. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I do think most most people are genuine. And I think it's it's a combination of the not having terribly much power. But I think as well, um, and, you know, when as well, we keep on saying left leaning parties, the, the, the left mix on Dublin City Council is, is different from what people might think it is if, if it's not Grace's party isn't it's it, not, it doesn't it's, have it's any it's power It's not leaning tentatively to the left it's yeah, yeah, almost well, horizontal it's well, it's, so Sinn Féin is the biggest party on Dublin City Council and then there are a combination of uh, there's a few people before profit councillors and a few very left leaning independents yes but yeah, I would say the the problem is something that that um, that, that Frank referenced there. It's that refusal to to compromise and the constant, constant sending back of say there's a, say there's a social housing scheme and just the 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 entire council meeting will be taken up between people arguing about what what the social mix would be. And then at, no decision is made at the end of, the, of a council meeting and then it's sent back and then said, well, we should send that to the housing special policy committee and we should, you know, and then it comes back to the council. All these things take months and months and months and you're, you find then you're a year in and only then the, the parameters of a scheme is, is, is being agreed, the parameters of what social mix we will have in this housing development. You're absolutely nowhere near the, the going to planning for this but, housing but, development, going to get a tender for people to build this housing development. And the thing, whole thing then just takes... So that's the paralysis it, it will, it'll never It'll never but happen is, within the five-year term sure, of, a, of but, the council. But I, th- I think the reason for that is, or one of the reasons, one of the principal reasons for that is not specifically due to the failures of local government, the structures of local government. It's got to do with government. I mean, you know, I often try and visual it, both national government and local government. It's not like a a computer that you press a button and something happens. It's more like a giant Victorian steam engine with levers and pulleys and dials and things. And the people who operate that need to know how the engine works to make it, to, to get results out of it. And I'm not sure people in local government, or indeed many of them in, 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 in national government, uh, actually have the, have the knowledge or the application to understand the great machine of government to, to get it to produce <laughs> results. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm Frank and, and Grace, I suppose, can, can both speak about their own personal experiences here. Councillors come in largely very green and very untrained and not really have been given much of a clue over what they have to do at a council meeting or what they do in particular situations. So I'd say they both find... Uh, and they all yeah, find me, for the first while that, they, that the wool is pulled over their eyes by other councillors who have a bit more experience. Oh, maybe. The crafty ones. Well, um, Hugh, I'd like to just gently push back on something that you said earlier when you said that the perception is that the majorities are formed by trying to divvy up the jobs. And actually, I do believe as someone who's standing back that that is a bit of an unfair perception. There's no doubt the allocation of these roles, committee chairs, mayors or looks very important. But maybe the single most important point I, I wanted to make in participating today is that actually leaving political hues completely out of it, 
I have immense respect for those who've been elected and who sat as members of local authorities. And my respect for politicians is higher now than it was five years ago before I ran. I really think that with very limited exceptions, most of them are absolutely in it for the right reasons, working very hard. And when they're part of majorities, they are trying to make the right decisions. There's no doubt that they are influenced. Their views are informed heavily by their perception of what their electorate wants. Mm. But that's a two-way street. That's because their electorate will determine their political fate. And that's absolutely as it should be. But there is a recurring theme when we talk about local government, about nimbyism or whatever you want want to talk about. And obviously, particularly, I think, in uh, urban local authority settings, you know, everyone's, you know, right to something potentially impinges upon somebody else's right to something. And everything from uh, double yellow lines to social housing, there's going to be somebody against it somewhere. And there there is an impression that in Dublin in particular, that's one of the things that contributes to a certain kind of paralysis. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. And I come back to the point about about voting for different schemes and social housing in particular or travel accommodation. You know, people that you've known all your life are saying they'll never vote for you again. Now, they voted for you knowing that these are the things you stood for. Um, and So you is know, it when it comes from the abstract to the particular? Is that when? Absolutely. It's, it's when, you know, as a whole, this is what we want to see our society look like. You know, this is what, oh, this is great. Th- yeah, and she's going to do that. But then the minute it comes near them, next or near them, their mother, their friends, anyone. Oh, God, no, 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 no. Not down there now. We absolutely want to house them, but God, they, they can't be down the, rent, the end of our road. And, you know, we thought we were a long way from that. We absolutely are not. This and is the it's, central you know, conundrum of democratic politics. Yeah, yeah. you know, this is... Well, <laughs> I mean, it's I like mean, Jean-Claude Juncker said the financial crisis. You know, we all know what to do. We just don't know how to get elected afterwards. You, but you have to make sure, but I mean, in fairness, we, we need to make sure that that message is going out to the electorate that, you know, if this is what you want, this is what it looks like. You know, this is, and, and, and it's about how long does it take? It, it's not five years, it's ten years. But let's be realistic years. and let's be honest about this, because I've seen it in my day-to-day life and where I live. There is a huge disjunction with what people purport to believe in, in terms of social justice, access to housing, traveller rights. And the reality, as you say, of what they're prepared to accept in their own locality. I mean, you must find that as well, Frank. Um, I think it's human nature. I think um, it's Pat. I mean, it's it's just a, a, the fundamental point, absolutely. And um, I, I would say, though, that it's not just about people perhaps voting in a kind of a, a nimbyistic way and that being problematical. There is another issue, which is even the degree of engagement. The levels of engagement are actually very low. And my own view is that if people were more engaged, there might be a greater preparedness to support candidates who backed policies that may not be in their immediate short-term interest, but that they'd recognize or identify or be convinced that actually there are longer-term merits in this. And I'll just give the one example from my own experience. Five years ago in uh, the Pembroke South Dock Ward, the turnout was 35% in the local elections. And I think it may have even been a percent lower in the um, Europeans. It's very difficult for us as councillors to say to the government, we need more power as local authorities if only one in three members of the electorate are interested in you know, or in a position to come out and vote or whatever. Whereas if turnout was, I know this may be hopelessly idealistic, but if it was 70%, uh, that's just totally different in terms of the mandate, 
but it also suggests much, much greater degrees of engagement on the issues and more involvement. And I think that if people were more engaged with politics, that there would be more openness to uh, supporting people who might take, say, tougher decisions. There's a bit of chicken and egg here, though, isn't there? there? Is, because 100%. people aren't going to turn out to vote in droves unless they think that there's really something at stake, which some of the discussions we're having here suggest I there is. I agree with that 100%, and that's why I, I refer to it as a two-way street, you know, that it requires both politicians and the electorates to really uh, engage and, and to work with each other. The other thing that strikes me about that, Grace, is that with such a low turnout, it becomes possible, even more possible, for particular pressure groups and interest groups to mobilise against, you know, um, particular candidates who they have an issue with. In other words, it's not representative of the city of the, of the city or the constituency as a whole. Absolutely. I mean, the councils are not representative of society at the moment by any stretch. And I think even the introduction of a directly elected mayor, I think, poses that problem as well, you know, because the only people who really, as the scheme as it is now, I mean, I think it absolutely needs to change because you're only going to, you know, the celebrity candidate is going to be elected. You're into the Healy Ray and Rossite situation there, you know. Um, so, so 100%, if you're not engaged and you don't have people out, um, yeah, you, you, you do face... Uh, can, can I ask you another question, though, because you've been there now for, as I say, eight or nine years. In, in, has social media changed the nature of the job at all? Because this is a form of politics which is very close to the ground, you know, very face-to-face, you know, small numbers of voters, and presumably something like Facebook... Has a very has a very large role to play. Is there an issue around the kind of abuse things that we hear we've heard about in in other yes. in other political spheres? Social media plays a really positive role as well. And I'll just pull up on one of the things that Frank said with regard to having more respect for politicians now than he did um, five years ago. Um, I don't think as a society we respect politicians and I think we have to look at that piece. We have to see that, no, it's not okay to abuse people because they put themselves out there. I've said for many years, oh, sure, it's fine, it rolls off me, but I shouldn't have to say that. You know, I'm putting myself out there to a very difficult position very little reward and constantly abused. Abused at the door, abused face-to-face, abused online. Um, because and both Labour and Fianna Fáil, actually, were probably the two parties that were subject to most of that, aren't they, over the last oh, five like to eight years? The 2014 election, for, for me, was, you know, a very, very difficult for... for and, and my canvassers as well, which were a lot of my family, you know. It's it's a difficult thing to do, but I think it is it is as a society we have to look at why do we not respect politicians, you know, and why do we think it's OK to, 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 we elect them, but once we elect them, then, oh no, rubbish, and we're just going to, to send them messages on social media. And as I said, you're, I, I was, I'm abused face to face, even during the repeal referendum, you know, um, I, I canvassing for that. So, yeah, it, while social media has been fantastic because it has pulled young people in, and I mean, as a politician now, you have to be engaged in social media. And it's has a it fabulous changed the nature way. of lobbying? In other words, campaigns can rise up and be mobilised in, in a more effective way? Yes, absolutely. For good and bad, obviously. Um, uh, Frank? Yeah, it has, um, particularly with those groups who are effective on social media, because obviously not everyone, I mean, there's a, there's a massive divergence between those who are present and active on social media and those who are your broader constituency. And uh, you have to look at it through the prism of always bearing in mind that this isn't representative of the world at large. You know, these are people... Um, and uh, so for some lobbying groups, it's extremely effective. Um, but other important messages don't get communicated back because maybe they won't be so effective at, at um, the social media. 
What do you think is going to happen in this election, Pat? Is it going to have any effect on the sort of problems we're talking about here? That's a big question. Uh, I I, I don't don't know, really. I haven't really considered it yet. I was just musing (laughs) during an idle moment on my way in this morning what my Saturday column is going to be about. I thought I might try and essay something (laughs) along those lines. Um, Give us a sneak preview now. I think think looking at the the polls, I think the, um, the big two would probably have a decent election. They appear to be strengthening. That's one of the uh, big two, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. That's the, one of the trends that we've seen in the local, uh, in, 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 in all polls since the last general election is sort of strengthening. You did, an, you did an interesting uh, deep dive, I suppose, a dig into the underlying numbers around uh, around the popularity of the parties. I, it's, I, I, I did. I looked at our, because we, we polled specifically on local elections and while national polls asking how will you vote in, in the local elections are not necessarily the best way to figure out what's going to happen in any given local authority. And we asked a series of questions about motivation for people's votes in the local elections, which were quite interesting. One of the things that came across was how localised and personalised our local election system is. You know, the three uh, the three most popular reasons proffered by uh, respondents to the poll as the reason, the principal reason, the number one reason for their vote were all related to knowledge of the candidate or someone to represent uh, the local area or I've always voted for them. Um, so, you know, we do have this intensely localised politics, but specifically, I, I suppose, at, uh, at, at local areas or at, in, in local elections. One of the trends that suggested was that there's a bit of a comeback for Labour and, uh, and the Greens. But will our local election system, will our local councils look dramatically different after, uh, after these elections? Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think so. And, you know, for all the faults of the local system uh, that, is, that is structural, we also have to look at the role of the political parties in it because the political parties, especially the big two, aren't really that interested in local government per se. They're interested in local elections and in councils as a sort of academy for general election candidates. But in terms of the wielding of power, because remember what the big two are interested in more than anything, and serious parties are interested in, is power. And just along the lines of what we discussed earlier, there isn't a great deal of power. So it's it's an internship for quote-unquote real politicians then? In a way, yeah. That's that's not great for you guys. Is is that the reason why you're stepping out? No, I mean, uh, I think the reason I'm stepping out is more than anything else the timing issue. Mm. But I think that's a very interesting point. If it is a sort of a crash for aspirant national politicians, then we need to look at the fact that more and more of our councillors are either full-time councillors or they work for political parties or they work as parliamentary assistants. All incredibly worthy and important roles but radically narrowing the scope of knowledge and practical experience of our current local and based on Pat's correct logic, future national representatives. And that leaves a serious deficit in terms of uh, capacity to contribute. Grace, would you ever think of standing again? 
I would, yeah, I would consider it. Um, at this point, I have to step away more f- like financial reasons, really, as well. And, you know, I want to pursue my career and I want to move up and and, and I, I would consider running again. You don't know what the future holds, you know, and um, so that's why I say I, I'm not closing the door forever because I don't know what the future will hold. And I'm really, really passionate about about local government as well. I'm, I'm not saying that I'll only stand in a general election. I, I would stand for local government again. Um, I think... If if local government is a crash for our general election candidates, it's a dire, dire, dire situation because really it's a role that is not attractive to the strongest candidates that we want to put into the doll. So I believe that a whole restructuring needs to happen and there needs to be some sort of senior cabinet position that you graduate into, that you're bringing forward really strong candidates who believe in, are passionate about their area and believe in building societies of in- inclusiveness. So... Thanks very much for coming in today. Thanks. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks to Frank, to Grace, to Olivia and to Pat. And thanks also to our producer, Declan Conlon, and to JJ Vernon on the desk and to all of you for listening. Your opinions and feedback are always very welcome. And you can send them to me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com or you can at me on Twitter. But until the next time, thanks for listening.